Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Um, I want to carry on. Stefan did two amazing messages on prayer and fasting to start off this month, and I want to do a third message uh, on prayer. But I want to talk about uh, prayer and the power of reconciliation. And uh, I want to start uh, with a passage in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says this, verses 23 to 24, and it's a very fascinating teaching of Jesus's, a very important one from the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, so back when Jesus was teaching this, uh, obviously the temple was still there, and this was an important place to go to worship God and to pray. And he says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, in other words, you're, you're, you're with God, you're, you're in worship, you're in prayer, whatever it is, and there remember, okay, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go, okay? So think about that for a moment. Jesus is teaching us something here of priorities and importance and urgency. If you are talking to God and you're worshiping him and you're spending time with him and it comes into your mind, that someone has something against you. There's brokenness in relationship somewhere. He says, leave what you're doing in prayer. Leave and go, okay? First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Your relationship with God deeply is intertwined. It doesn't just impact your relationship. You know, your relationship with people does not just impact your relationship with God. Your relationship with people and your relationship with God are intertwined. In fact, uh, and we can look at other passages in the New Testament where it says you can't even love God if you don't love people. So these two things are very, very connected. It's not like you can have a relationship with God over here that's very healthy all by itself, and then over here you can have a bunch of unhealthy relationships with people. Actually, your relationships with God and people, when your relationship with God is good, then it's going to improve your relationships with people. And if there's brokenness in your relationship with people, there's going to be brokenness in your relationship with God, okay? Now, I'm going to get into that, this because Jesus has a whole bunch to say about this in the Gospels. But before I do, I just have to lay down one caveat, okay? It's very important we lay this down. Uh, and I want you to have this in your mind throughout the message, okay? Because uh, uh, sometimes it's actually hard to make something right with someone because they refuse to allow things to be made right. And when that happens, God obviously is not blaming you. Look at this, Romans 12, verse 18. If possible, and I love that word, if, okay? If possible, so far as it depends on you. Don't, don't you just love when the Bible gives caveats itself? I love that. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, okay? So, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and then you believe that you can't just have a relationship with God over here devotionally that's separate from how you're living your life with people relationally, that those two things actually go hand in hand, and that when one is weak, the other will be weak. So that both need to be strong, and if you're going to have power and the, and the presence of God in your prayer life, then you're going to also have to work hard at your relationships. 
But of course, not everybody's going to allow you to be at peace with them. And so I love that the Bible has that caveat in there. But now the question is, okay, so here's Jesus and he says, you're in prayer and you remember. Now, why would you remember in the midst of your prayer time anyway that someone has something against you? And I'll tell you why. That's the Holy Spirit. You're talking to God. It's not an accident that while you're talking to God, it suddenly comes into your mind, someone has something against me. That's the Holy Spirit. And when that comes into your mind, the Holy Spirit is telling you, it's time to deal. It's time to work this out. Now, again, I, I know, and Jesus loves, or at least loved in the Gospels, and I'm sure he always does, because there it is in the Gospels. He uses a lot of hyperbole in his teaching, which is uh, exaggeration for the sake of effect, not exaggeration in the, in the sense of line, but exaggeration for the sake of effect. Obviously, he is not literally meaning that the moment it comes into your mind at all times, you should immediately go and make it right. For example, you might be up at three or four in the morning or in the middle of the night. And in that moment, it comes to your mind that you have a broken relationship. If you go at that moment to make things right, you might actually make things worse. Is that true? So is Jesus, does he teach amazingly and in ways that hit us? Yes. The point isn't that you have to do it that moment, and we'll see as we go through this message, there might be other extenuating circumstances that it might take you some time to actually properly set this up. So the point isn't that Jesus isn't saying, rush into this without thinking, but the point is the priority of this. Don't be fooled into thinking that because you have a, a, a good prayer life with God that everything's okay if you are living in brokenness and not treating people properly over here. The two go hand in hand. We pray and relate to Jesus and we relate to people and those two things are together. So now the question is, so Romans 12 tells us, you know, if possible, so far as it depends on you, we will keep that in mind throughout this message. Okay? But now the question is, well, how do I know if I have done everything possible on my end? How do I know, so far as it depends on me, if I've done my best? How do I know when it, I can just stop and just realize there's no more I can do? And thankfully, because this is so important to Jesus, he talks about this very practically and specifically elsewhere in the Gospels. And so we're going to go to Matthew 18 now. And we're going to just work our way through Matthew 18, where Jesus actually preaches another message on this point. And, uh, and he says this, starting in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's step one. Step one. You're in prayer or whatever comes into your mind. You've hurt somebody else. They've hurt you, something like that. There's brokenness, there's strain, whatever it is. Now, what's the, what, I, what am I going to do first? Step one, I'm going to go and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about this hurt me when you did this. And we're going to listen to the other person. Well, but I only did that because it hurt me when you did this. You're going to go and tell them. Now, this just seems so basic. Why would Jesus even have to talk about this? If you're older than 18 years old, you know already that this is actually rare in human relationships, isn't it? It might be simple, but it is rare. And it's rare for different reasons. 
Uh, one reason it's rare is that I, you know, more than half, probably the majority of the personalities that God himself created in human beings are averse to conflict. So most of the personalities that God created, he created all kinds of different personalities. It's so amazing, his creativity. I'm so glad we're not all the same. And most of the personalities that God created are averse to conflict, which means they would rather things be peaceful than that hurts would be talked through and that there might be conflict. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that in a condescending or insulting way. I am personally very glad that God made most people averse to conflict. Aren't you? We should actually be glad about that. Because if God made everybody to love conflict, this world would be a disaster. We're a disaster as it is. But if we were having to police fist fights in the lobby every week at church, that wouldn't be a good thing. So it's actually not bad that it's actually really good. God actually knew and knows what he's doing. Amen. So lots of us actually don't just love conflict and that's not a bad thing. However, it can become a bad thing when instead of clearly communicating to someone that they hurt us, instead we internalize it. And then we internalize it some more and then eventually it starts to spill out, but it doesn't spill out to the person who hurt us. We begin to spill it out to everybody around us, right? Which is not helpful to it. Uh, it's not helpful to resolution and it's not helpful for the other person, not helpful for ourselves. And, uh, and so God says, you need, actually need to go and tell them. Now, the other problem that can happen when we internalize is we internalize something while it's small, but we internalize it, internalize it, internalize it. It heaps up, it heaps up, it heaps up. By the time it blows up, it's become big. And by the way, this is very common, is it not, in marriage? Uh, I mean, maybe it's not, okay? I mean, my wife would never deal with this, of course. Hypothetically, right? But isn't it true if you've been married any longer than your honeymoon, right? Uh, you can get hurt in, in marriage and you can, instead of often, it's easier just to hold it in, but if you don't tell the other person, they don't even know. And then you hold it, you hold it, you hold it, you hold it, and all of a sudden, boom. And Jesus says, go and tell them. If you're in prayer, don't think, oh yeah, I got this, I got my spiritual life, I go to church, I go to cell, I do this, I do that, it's all great. And Jesus is saying, hello, you got a whole bunch of brokenness. You got a whole bunch of bitterness. You got a whole bunch of stuff you're not dealing with over here. These things go together. Now, there's a second reason why this is rare. So the first reason is, and no doubt there's a whole host of reasons, is that many of us just are so averse to conflict. We don't, don't want to bring it out. So we hide it instead. Now, there's a second reason why step one is rare, just to go and tell somebody and go talk to them about it. And that is the opposite problem, which is that group of personalities who actually loves conflict. And they see step one and they go, oh, I'm really good at that. Super good at that. I just tell it like it is. Um, one of the things I've found over the years in myself and in others is that telling it like it is doesn't always mean you've actually clearly communicated the person's fault. See, there's a huge difference between telling someone off and telling someone they're false. Isn't that true? I think it's true. Has any of you ever been told off? Has any one of you ever told somebody else off? Have you ever gone back to the conversation and realized I was very passionate to communicate something and I communicated it completely wrong? 
And actually, you didn't tell them what their fault is. You just blew up. Not helpful at all. Jesus didn't say, go in and get angry at them. He says, tell them, make it clear. See, clarity is a foundation. It's not the only thing needed, but clarity is a foundation of reconciliation. There can't be reconciliation as long as the hurts and the problems aren't made clear. And I mean, it's true of a wound. If anybody, uh, if you have a wound and you want to get healing of that wound, uh, there's a couple things you don't do to get healing. First of all, you don't just take a piece of paper, color it skin color, and paper it over and pretend you don't have a wound. <laughs> That's what ignoring hurts will do to you. I'm just too afraid. I don't want to have conflict. I don't want to confront this. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about my feelings. I don't want to talk about it. So you just paper it over, and then it gets worse until you blow up or something bad happens. The other way that doesn't help is the, oh, I just love to tell it how it is. I'm going to gouge at this wound and poke at it and dig at it, and that's going to make it better. Nope. That doesn't do it either. But if you want to get healing for a wound, you've got to clean it out gently. You've got to get clarity about what's going on, clean out the dirt, and from there, some healing can begin to happen. Is that not true? So step one is go and tell him. Okay? Now, again... I want you to notice that Jesus is not going to do this for you. He will help you do this. But I want you to see how prayer and life are hooked in together. So Jesus does not say, you know, when you are there before the Lord and you remember someone has someone against, something against you, just pray. If you pray a lot, then it will get better. No, no. You'll need to pray. But then you will need to go and you will need to do the relational work yourself. Isn't that true? He says, go and tell. Now, it's not a matter of just going and telling. The more difficult the situation is, the more you're going to have to cover that going and telling in prayer. And you might need to pray for a whole bunch of things. You might need to pray uh, for the, uh, that your heart will be right. You might need to pray that the other heart person's heart will be receptive. You might need to pray for an opportunity. You might need to pray for courage. You might need to pray for the right words to say. And you will need to do all of that, praying, but you're not just going to pray. He does not say, pray, and I'm going to make your relationships right. Pray about your relationships, but then go and tell. And the reason for this is because we are made in the image of God. And one of the most profound things about God is that he is three in one, which means that at his core, he is a relational being. He is relational. So when he made us and he said, you are made in the image of God, he made us to be relational. And so that is highly spiritual. There's almost nothing more spiritual than your relationships. So in, when, it, when we reflect the image of God on the earth, how do we do that? We do that by mirroring what God is like in honesty and truth and forgiveness and acceptance in our relationships. And that is extremely, extremely powerful. So now, when you go to the other person, I, I want you to have a couple, there's a couple things and then we'll go to step two in this passage. But when you go to tell, I want you to have a couple of points in your mind as to how you go and tell. 
And if I put up Matthew 5, I want to put up a section of Matthew 5 right beside the Matthew 18 here. So in Matthew 18, we see if your brother sins against you, go and tell him. So Matthew 18, he, the assumption is they've sinned against you. Matthew 5, I want you to notice, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, that one is assuming you've done something against them. Now, in my experience, isn't it true that in the vast majority of human conflict, there's one of each of these in the conflict, isn't it true? Most conflict, not all conflict, by the way, I wanna say that, it's important. There, there is conflict where it's actually all one person's fault. And if you're in a situation like that, there's no use you trying to figure out something you did if you didn't. But most conflict is one of each. There is, it is, we both contribute. It might not even be 50-50. It might be 60-40 or 80-20 or whatever it is. But in the vast majority of conflict, we have both contributed to this problem. So that means when you are doing step one, which is go and tell, it is important that we go with an assumption. And the assumption is that we actually take this with us. As I go to tell them, I'm going to assume that I've been part of the problem. Very, very important. Now, you might have to tell yourself that because in the moment, it's rare that we actually feel that we're part of the problem. Isn't that true? Uh, if we felt like we were part of the problem, we wouldn't be so upset. But the fact that we're upset is because we think it's their fault. Right? I'm very upset, but we need to remember in that moment, even though our emotions are telling us it's all their fault, inside, we need to remind ourselves as we go and tell I actually need to be ready to listen because I know behind my emotions somewhere, I know the truth that I have probably done something. That most likely this person did not get up in the morning and think I am going to do something evil and dastardly to this other person. Which brings up the second point, not only to assume you're part of the problem when you go, okay? When you go to tell, be ready to talk, but also to listen. In fact, Probably we should be ready to listen as much as we talk. And that's actually a huge, huge deal to the going and telling. If you think Matthew 18 is just about you going and telling, you're not going to have a lot of success with step one. Because the other person will have things to say as well. And are you ready to actually listen? If you're not ready to listen, you probably aren't ready to tell. Are you ready to listen? When you're ready to listen, then you are probably ready to tell. And again, this is what advancing the kingdom of God looks like. At its core, do you want to know? Uh, you, you want to do something great for God this year? There's many different things we can do to advance the kingdom of God. One of the very important things you can do for God this year is to love people and fight for reconciliation. Because what is the kingdom of God about anyway? Have you ever stopped to think about that? What is the kingdom of God? It's not a building. We know that. It's not a building. So what is the kingdom of God? One big chunk of what the kingdom of God is, is relationships. Because like I said before, God is three in one. He is relational. And so where is the spiritual battle between God and Satan fought? It's fought on the battlefield of relationships. So what is Satan's, like when Satan is 
is fighting for the powers of darkness here on the earth, what is he doing? Is he building physical buildings? No. No doubt there's many different things he's doing, but you want to know some of the biggest things Satan is doing when he wages his war here? He's trying to break up marriages. He's trying to break up families. He's trying to break up society. He's trying to break up partnerships. He's trying to break up churches. That's how he works. That's where the battle is. That's why Jesus says in John 13, 34 to 35, listen to this. This is Jesus summing things up, making things simple. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I just love how Jesus simplifies it. Now, is this the only thing that Jesus' disciples do? Well, of course not. There's so much else we could look at. But when Jesus simplifies things down to one thing, he says, you want to know how people are going to know that you're my followers? You want to know how people are going to know that you're reflecting my image on the earth? You are going to be differentiated from the world based on your love. And reconciliation is part of that. This is not just some side thing for Jesus. That's why he says when you're praying and the Holy Spirit reminds you of brokenness, that is the thing. That is the next biggest spiritual thing you can do is when that comes to your mind, I got to work on that. I'm going to pray about that and I'm going to go and I'm going to work on it. And that is spiritual warfare. That's why Jesus also says just a few verses before that, leaving your gift there at the altar, he says this in Matthew 5 verse 9. He says, blessed, look at this. You want to be blessed by God? You want to be a hero for God? You want to have your name in the hall of fame of heaven? Read the first part of Matthew chapter 5 and see who is called great in the kingdom of heaven. And it doesn't go by how smart or not smart you are. It doesn't go by how talented or how amazing you are to human eyes. It goes by things that God thinks are amazing. Look at this, verse 9. Blessed are the who? The peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. There, by the way, is the image of God thing again. When you're a son or daughter of God, it means you're reflecting God's image. It's the image of God. You were made in the image of God. You were made to reflect his glory in the earth. That's your purpose here on earth, or one of the big purposes. So you reflect God's glory when, in everything you do, you are someone who works, and maybe other people won't let you do it. And that's when we always remember Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, we always keep that in mind. But you want to reflect the glory of Jesus? Have a reputation for being a peacemaker, someone who does the hard work to try to bring reconciliation where you go. Someone who's not just satisfied to go to church and go to cell and do a bunch of things that look Christian, but then has brokenness everywhere in their life, and they don't work on it. And they don't work to bring reconciliation. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now. What happens if you do step one and you go and talk about it and you try to get clarity and it doesn't work and it, maybe it even gets worse? Well, Jesus has a step two for us as well. When things aren't getting better or when things are too complicated or difficult for you to one-on-one -on -one work it out, he says this, verse 16, back to Matthew 18, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge 
may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, here's the reality. We human beings are a complicated lot. And there are lots of complex, and by the way, God enjoys the complexity of human relationships. If God wanted things to be simple among human beings, he would have given us the intelligence of dogs and everything would be simple. <laughs> Just give me a bone. I'm good. Right? Dogs are dumb. I'm not saying they're bad. Don't send me emails. Your dog is wonderful, no doubt. But if God wanted things simple, he would have made us with the intelligence of dogs. He didn't make us with the intelligence of dogs. He made us humans with complex emotions and fears and hopes and desires and complex callings and interactions with other people and it whoop, can get messy in a hurry. That's not something that makes God upset and it's not something just because you go to church and have given your life to Jesus doesn't mean you won't have complicated interactions with people that sometimes go awry. The point is, how do we handle them afterwards? That's why Jesus has given us this. So you're not bad because there's conflict in your life. That's not bad. In fact, conflict is often God's way of digging deep into ourselves, of things that are going on in ourselves, of things that are going on in others. And when we work through it by the power of the Holy Spirit, we often come through on the other side. If the Holy Spirit has truly been leading us and we're soft, we come out on the other side and we come out deeper and better and more loving and more gracious. So conflict is not bad, and the fact that you have difficult conflict, uh, conflict in your life does not mean God is mad at you, okay? However, if step one hasn't worked, then Jesus says, now you need step two. You actually need outside help. You actually need outside help, because it's gotten too complicated. Now, I know for a lot of us, getting outside help is the worst thing, and I can't speak for women, but I can speak for guys. I know as guys often, we don't want to get help because it's like, man, I can just fix this on my own. And it's embarrassing to get help. It's embarrassing to admit that you need help. It's embarrassing for some married couples to admit they need help. And so you want to just pray it away. It's like, you know what, I'm just going to, God, I'm too embarrassed to get help. I'm too embarrassed. This is too difficult. It's too complicated. I'm just going to pray. And Jesus says, that's great. You need to pray your way through this situation but I'm not going to magically take it away. God will not actually magically fix your relationships for you. He will empower you by his Holy Spirit. He, and you need to pray and be filled with his Holy Spirit. You need to pray and get wisdom, but he will not do it for you. He says, now you need to go and tell. Now you need to go and get help. It's actually in the Bible. Oh, God, speak to me about what I, what I should do. And he just keeps saying, Matthew 18. Oh, God, give me a... Give me a word or a picture. I, I want to get that at Matthew 18. I've already spoken on this matter. And then he can give you, yeah, you can do listening prayer and you can get stuff about this, but this is what you do. Now you say, why would I need outside help for reconciliation? Why wouldn't God just do it for me and I can just pray about it and see it happen? And I'll tell you a few reasons why uh, God wants you to get outside human help for reconciliation in step two. And the first one is because you can't see your own blind spots. If you could see them, they wouldn't be a blind spot. Isn't that true? That's very profound. 
And you say, well, but I'm praying. Why can't God just show me my blind spots? It doesn't work that way. Because we're supposed to be relational. And we're supposed to be humble. And it's very easy to get your blind spots straight from God and not need anyone else, but it doesn't take any humility. So God says, actually, I want you to find out from others that you aren't perfect. And so one of the reasons you need outside help is because often in conflict, we will always feel right in conflict. That's why we're mad. And we can't actually see, the more difficult it gets, we can't actually see how we are part of the problem. Unless someone else tells us, you bring in someone neutral and you sit down, and at the end of it they go, uh, yeah, you know, you actually have some serious issues here to deal with. And you go, I don't want to fine. And you might need to do some of your own work. And actually, you might be part of the problem. And by the way, that is terribly freeing. Isn't that a wonderfully Mennonite thing to say, by the way? That is terribly freeing. That is awfully good food, right? I love how we do that. It's a horribly good day. Just a horribly good day. Um, it's really freeing. Um, it's very disempowering. It's very disempowering to be in a conflict where, it's where you think it's 100% the other person's fault because you can't do anything about them be their faults. It's very empowering when you find out that a bunch of it is actually your fault and you can actually work on your faults. Very empowering, very important. You can't see your own blind spots. Better bring someone in who's strong enough to actually tell you, by the way, part of this is your issue. Secondly, why you need outside help for reconciliation is there's too much emotion tied up in the conflict. Sometimes the emotion has gotten so high you can't actually get down to the real issues. You actually need someone else to join you and help you sort it out. Humble yourself and say, okay, I need a trusted other person in marriage. It could be, again, it could be going to see a counselor or a pastor. And again, I'm so embarrassed to admit that our marriage needs help. Why would you be embarrassed? Every marriage needs help from time to time. However you get that, whether you get that from a trusted friend or whether you get that, you know, depending on the level of help that you need, whether you get that from some good books and a small group or whether you have to go see a counselor or a pastor, no people are perfect, therefore no marriage is perfect, therefore let's all just be okay with admitting that we sometimes need help. And if we need help sometimes in marriage to figure this out, how much more are we going to need it in other relationships too? Number three, sometimes you need neutral parties to come in and help both sides feel heard. And I underline that, those words there, feel heard. And I know sometimes people react against that kind of language. It feels like this is kind of all this modern mumbo-jumbo. Like, actually, it's not that hard. We just love Jesus and we love people. But actually, some of this modern mumbo-jumbo is actually important truths that explain to us how we love people. And Jesus is very clear that the greatest commandment is love God and love people. Do you want to know one of the greatest gifts you can give to another person? Is to make them feel heard. It is actually 
And I know some of you here are just going, I don't need to feel heard and I don't need to make someone else feel heard. I work hard, I'm very successful, and that's all I need. And you have this very tough exterior. And I've lived long enough after 41 years to figure out that the toughest exteriors are still human beings underneath. It's actually just how we're wired. Whether you like it or not is true. Because God is relational, it means he has made us relational, and we may have put up all kinds of layers over top of that because we don't want to be relational, but you were created to be relational, which means that at its core, do you know what every human being really wants? To know, to be known by other human beings and to know other human beings. And one of the greatest gifts you can give to someone who's hurting is actually just take the time to hear what they're trying to say. That is true in marriage. Do you know how many marriages actually are mediocre or not good, even though both people are good Christians? So how come it isn't just automatic? And it's because they've never learned to truly hear each other, to truly be safe for each other. What are your fears? What are the things that really bother you? What are the things you're afraid of? That is one of the greatest gifts for you to get past the emotion and to be safe for me to truly be myself, no matter how tough you are, when you encounter that kind of love, by the way, that's the kind of love Jesus is gonna give you. And he already wants to give you, and he will give you when he returns. And you'll be a blubbering, tough mess when he does it. But it's what you need for intimacy. And in conflict, if you can ever get to a place where you truly hear the other person, What'll happen is you might not agree on all the details, but you'll be able to compromise after that because you'll have finally figured out that the other person isn't evil. <laughs> and you'll go, oh. By the way, any of you who has kids, you, again, you, you know this, right? Um, it took, why did it take me so many years in parenting to figure this out? But I used to always overreact. Uh, so you hear one of the younger kids get hit by one of the older kids, and they come up bawling, oh, so-and-so hit me, and you're like, I'm going to get the per perpetrator. How dare you hit your younger brother or sister? Get over here right now. And then you come up with a discipline, some wild thing off the top of your head, and you punish them, and then afterwards you find out, once you've calmed down, oh, the reason you hit them was because they did this, this, and this. Oh, I'm sorry that I didn't listen first. So I have now come to realize that when child A, B, C, or D, generally C and D, <laughs> comes running up crying and blubbering, someone did something to me, I rarely fly off the handle now. It's always annoying inside. What did you do first? <laughs> let's call up the other person and let's get the entire story, and once we've gotten the entire story, it's amazing how often things work themselves out and you don't even need to use much discipline because you've helped them both to see, oh, they did this because of this. Oh, can you see how that would be painful? And then you did, and oh, and there was this, and oh. They actually dread it now, some of them, because they know the process will take 10 or 15 minutes, and then they'll say, don't tell dad, he's gonna make us talk it through. <laughs> Which blesses my heart as well. Right? But you got to feel heard. You have to feel heard. And the moment, you'll see this, there are beautiful moments. 
when you do this in your marriage or you do this with someone in conflict where you actually calm your own self down and you're able to hear truly what the other person is saying and it takes all the pain out. But sometimes the pain is so high that you actually need neutral help. You need outside help to come and help you manage this and figure it out. Which brings us to the fourth thing. Once neutral help has helped you hear each other, then you need neutral parties to help you figure out what good compromise looks like. By the way, back to the children thing for just a second. I am amazed how many of us as adults, we actually didn't learn any of these things when we were kids, and so we just take our childishness into adulthood, and we dress it up. It looks more adult-like, but actually, a lot of it is just childish. We don't know how to hear each other out, and we actually have never learned how to compromise. There's many of us as adults have no idea how to compromise. And actually, it's a skill we need to teach our kids, and we, but we can't teach something that we don't have. Because compromise in a family happens, and again, I keep going back to the family thing, but that's just where I am in my life right now with four young kids, but there are you know, probably dozens of opportunities every week where without thinking of it, once you begin to realize that compromise is part of what it means to love somebody in relationship, it just comes out of you in the tiniest of things. I mean, I think of just the other, and, and that translates into adulthood, because in adulthood, in a lot of our conflict, it's not about compromise, it's about winning. We're afraid of not getting our way, we're afraid of being taken advantage of, we're afraid, we're afraid, we're afraid, we're afraid, or angry, or whatever. So what we go into conflict is trying to win, but when Jesus said, go and tell, he didn't say, go and win. That's actually not love. You want to know what love and humility looks like in conflict? It looks like compromise and listening. So the biblical words are love and humility, and every Christian would say, those are hugely important. It is so important to be humble. It is so important to be loving. Yes. What does that actually mean? In conflict, that means looking for compromise. It means listening. That's actually how you put the biblical words into practice in conflict, okay? So good compromise. The other, the other night, I'm going past Boaz's bedroom, and, uh, and it's like, oh, shoot, it's past his bedtime. He needs to be in bed. So my personality is like, go! Usually, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, and then now I'm tired, and I just want to have nothing to do. I need to be by myself. Go to bed! You should have been in bed five minutes ago, okay? So in the past, it was like, you obey me right now. The sign of good parenting is you obey now because you are afraid. <laughs> very, very healthy. And exactly how God, right, deals with us. You've experienced that too, right? How impatient he is. Uh, so I tried and failed with that method of parenting for a number of years. And then I started to think, do I like it when people treat me that way? When I'm in the middle of something, someone just comes and says, hey, it's time to go to bed. Get out of here. Stop. Hurry up. So I realized actually compromise is something that happens in the little things every day. And if I practice it in the little things, that's how I show love. And if I practice it in the little things, I might get better at it in the big things. So I started to change it from stop what you're doing right now. When I say jump, you say how high and you get over there. I started now and it's actually amazing. And it actually translates, you say, what a childish story. Yeah, it is a childish story. If you don't start in elementary school to learn how to read, you won't know how to read when you get to college and university. 
And if you can't figure out how to do compromise in the little things, you, how are you ever going to figure out how to do it in the big things? So I walked past his room the other day. He's building some Lego. I'm like, oh, boys, it's bedtime. You need to get in bed. And he's like, oh, but dad, I'm right in the middle of something. Well, I get that. When I'm in the middle of something, I don't want someone to just tear me out. And I said, is five minutes good? He's like, five minutes would be great. So I carry on, brush my teeth, come back in five minutes. Hey, Bo, your five minutes is up. He hops in bed. He's happy. That's, what, that's on a tiny scale how we respect tiny people. But on a bigger scale, where you've got lots of emotion and complex issues, are you just, it's my way or the highway? Is my way or the highway the greatest commandment? When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And love your neighbor as yourself. Look what it says in James 4, 6. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We love those verses as Christians because we know humility is important. But what does humility look like in action? Matthew 5, verse 5, we go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the who? We saw already, blessed are the peacemakers. Same passage. Blessed are the meek. Not blessed are the powerful. Not blessed are the strong. Even though it's not bad to be powerful, you might be very successful. You might be this or might be that. You might be very talented. Nothing wrong with that. That's amazing. Use that for God. Love it. But that's not who's blessed. That's not who's going to be famous in God's hall of fame. Blessed are the meek. What does it look like to be meek in conflict? I stink at that a whole lot. So what does that mean for us to practice that? Well, I want to leave you with this now because this is a message on prayer. You're like, you haven't really talked about prayer. You've just talked about when you're praying, leave it and go get reconciliation. What does this have to do with prayer? What's the link between reconciliation and prayer in this month of prayer and fasting? And uh, it's amazing. Um, one of the most famous you know, verses for Christians when it comes to corporate prayer, a verse that I have often quoted before, and by the way, we'll continue to do so. But which we usually take a bit out of context, and it still is true. It's still very true. But you know, there's this, and like I said, I do not apologize for, for using it at prayer summits often, and I will continue to use it slightly out of context in prayer summits to come. But there's this verse that says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there will I be also. Now, I love that verse. And I love to use that verse to encourage people to pray together in groups. And I will continue to use that because it is true that praying together in groups is powerful. That's biblical. And it's a great sentence to do that. But do you know where that verse actually falls in the Bible? It falls exactly in this passage of Matthew 18 about reconciliation. So no doubt, it's not wrong to use it about corporate prayer, but actually what it is specifically speaking to is the situation of reconciliation. So let's finish this message and just read Matthew 18, the passage from top to bottom, and let's see what Jesus says about prayer and reconciliation. 15 and 16, that's what we've looked at so far. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Make it clear. Does he know? Does she know what they've done that's offended you? If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, 
take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So that's step one and step two. Now, the next two verses, I'm actually going to talk about in two weeks. Next week is church renewal weekend, but in two weeks, I'm going to talk about these. So I'll just read them now. I won't really comment on them, but there is a step three. What happens if someone at the end just refuses the process, okay? If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, so that's two weeks from now. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's talking about forgiveness, by the way. It's all in this passage on reconciliation. And then verse 19, it says this. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, here's our first connection. Wow, what a promise. You had brokenness in a relationship, but you left the altar You prayed like crazy. You said, God, empower me, but I'm going to take a risk. And I'm going to be meek. And I'm going to seek for compromise. And I'm going to struggle with this. But I'm I'm going to strive and struggle for reconciliation. And you went. And at the end of it, you actually won your brother over. Through prayer, through hard work, through vulnerability. Might have taken time. You won them over. And God says, it's so amazing. When you get two people who are broken, and they come together, and they agree at the end, they can ask anything they want. God says, I want to do it. That's how much God, that's the image of God on the earth. He's three in one. He's three in one. You bring a marriage from a place of being strained to a place of oneness, and God says, oh, I want to answer some, I want to answer some prayers now. You bring a couple of people who have been through the wars together, and they come together, and they hear each other out, and they compromise, and they work it out, and they cry, and they do all that sort of stuff, and they, maybe it takes them some time, and then they come together at the end. If two of you agree, you've mended this thing. Oh, I want to answer some prayers now. That's power. And then he says this. Here's the famous passage. All of this in the context of reconciliation. For where two or three are gathered in my name, okay? And again, I don't apologize. I will continue to use this at prayer summits gladly. Because it is biblical that when we gather together, there's something powerful about that. But I want you to notice specifically here in the context where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. When Christians fight for reconciliation and peace, and the presence of God comes in their midst. When you have a church, though, with a whole bunch of people that come to church and do all the churchy things, but there's all kinds of fractures in between them in that church, and they're not actually seeking to make it better, how can the presence of God be powerfully in that place? But if you have a church, you know what the world does? It, the world does not need to see Christians being perfect because we aren't perfect. And we won't be perfect until the resurrection. So it's that they don't need to see the church being perfect. What they need to see is that Christians go, will go to the ends of the earth to try to make things right, to work out forgiveness, and to do reconciliation. When the world sees that, they will see God in our midst. And God himself promises that when we are gathered in his name in that way, there I am among them. So what might the Holy Spirit be saying to you this morning out of this? A couple of questions. Do you have any conflict or brokenness in some relationships in your life right now? Any scale. Could be really small, could be really big. 
Maybe you have marriage conflict. Is it time? Because we're not done prayer and fasting month yet. You want to see something powerful happen in your marriage? What if you would pray and fast for your marriage and not just pray and fast. What if you would pray and fast and find a counselor or pastor to help you work through some of your issues? What would happen if you would pray and fast and get some outside help to go to another level? I think some awesome things would happen. In fact, I tell you some awesome things would happen in your marriage. And what looks hopeless when it's just the two of you because you can't figure it out on your own, when you get help and you enlist God's help in prayer, massive things can happen. Maybe you have other kinds of conflicts, not in your marriage. Maybe it's time for you to pray and fast, but not just pray and fast. Maybe it's time for you to pray and fast and find one or two or three neutral wise people who can come into the situation along with you and you're praying and fasting the whole time for a miracle from God and then you go and you do the work and I'm telling you the presence and power of God is going to come into your life and you're going to see God do great things. You want God to do great things in your life this year? You want to do something great for God? Advance the kingdom of God by fighting for reconciliation. Heavenly Father, speak to us. The worship team is going to lead us in a song now. But Heavenly Father, would you speak to us? And would you empower us to be a church, not where no conflict happens, but to be a church that fights for peace to the point that you won't even be able to stop yourself from coming into our midst. In Jesus' name.